0: Welcome to Kinetic Conversations. I'm Jim Sparrow. This is part two of our special series on Eddie Sterley. You can find part one in our archives at fortwaymballet.org or wherever you get your podcasts. For today's episode, Karen Gibbons-Brown sits down with Kim Sagami, who not only is helping us to restage Eddie's works in our upcoming show, Dancer's Legacy and Evening of Sterley, but was also a close friend of Eddie's and danced in the world premiere of Empyrean Dances, Eddie's last show before tragically succumbing to AIDS.
1: So, Kim Sagami, we are so fortunate to have you here with us today.
0: Thank we always <laughs> en-
1: We always enjoy having you here in Fort Wayne and working with the ballet, but we're here for a, a more special event this time. Uh, we're here to talk a little bit about Edward or Eddie Sturley and the pieces that we're about to perform this upcoming May, uh, his legacy of choreography. And it's really unusual for us to have someone stage a ballet who was actually in the room when it was being created, or in the room with the original choreographer. That's becoming a little more rare these days. But you had that opportunity.
2: Right. And um, I, I just feel so honored. You know, when you're in the moment and you're a dancer, you don't realize the circumstances you're in and what they can become. But I really do believe that being in the room with Eddie was so important on many levels. But to be able to stage this now, I understand where he was coming from, to teach the movement, and to relay the choreography, of course, to the dancers. And to have experienced his story, Eddie as a person, Eddie as a dancer, Eddie as a choreographer, and then Eddie, who he was at that time, meant so much to us. And to relay that, to try to relate that to the dancers at Fort Wayne Ballets is very important to me.
1: All the layers of Eddie. So you were not originally a part of the first piece that we'll be performing, Concerto Cambrio, that was choreographed for students at what we now know as UNCSA, University of North Carolina School of the Arts. However, you were a part of both Lacrimosa and Empyrean. And while there are some similarities, they're both very different in the movement and the intent. So let's take them one at a time, if that's okay. Let's mm-hmm. start with Lacrimosa.
2: Right. I feel the overall feeling or the, the ambiance of the ballet is... Earthly, and it's very weighted and heavy and everything having to do with the world. And he was feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders at that time that he choreographed it. So I really feel heaviness in the movement and heaviness in the spirit of the piece. And you'll see that in, especially in his solo, which is interesting because it was choreographed before he knew he had AIDS Um, HIV positive. And so he was already feeling some kind of weight on his shoulders. We don't know what. But then to expand on it into a bigger piece, which he was later asked to do. By Mr. Joffrey? By Mr. Joffrey. And to continue that into a core ensemble piece and to feel that earthliness. I I really want to portray that to the dancers, that there's a heaviness and an earthliness to Lacrimosa, and that it's so different than Empyrean. It's very difficult. The the movement quality as well is I was thinking about this to try to coach the dancers today. It's very modern so it's like this drop, swing and throw kind of mechanism, but it's very weighted. You have the same kind of drop and throw in Empyrean but In Lacrimosa, it's just more earthly. Like, you want to feel the floor more.
1: I think watching both of the pieces, there's the fall and release, as you say. It's a contemporary theory that we all work under in contemporary movement. But in Lacrimosa, it's fall and release. And then in Empyrean, it's fall, release, recover. Mm-hmm. So there's an uplift to the end of the movement.
2: Exactly, and so Empyrean, it reflects his life. So he makes this solo with feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders. He expands it later when he finds out he's HIV positive and is you know facing death. He he isn't he isn't at the point yet. The m- symptoms haven't manifested in him, so he's he's still feeling very worldly and not worldly, but of this earth. And then in Empyrean, the symptoms come to him. He's in the hospital. He wants to see beyond what is beyond all of this. So he, he actually lets go of all that weight and he becomes ethereal. I wanna say it's, it's like the weight is lifted and then there's this light. And so, like you said, he recovers from that process and he wants to relay it in Empyrean. And that's what's so wonderful about his choreography is like he really puts himself in the work. And I I just, it's astounding at that young age to be able to do that and to portray it physically.
1: When Eddie choreographed Concerto Cambrio, he was 19. Unbelievable when you see it. It is not a beginner's piece of choreography. It's complicated. It's intricate. The steps themselves are very compound steps, complex steps. But he choreographed the Lacrimosa solo ahead of this, correct? Mm-hmm. So do you, was he 18, I, 16? He was young. He was younger young. than 19. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so then we get to him to the full Lacrimosa, And then Empyrean, which came after. And he choreographed Empyrean at the age of, he was 22, 23? Yeah,
2: 22, 23, right. Just to imagine how much potential
1: there is in that. Exactly. And what ideas he had. You know, Rose Wharton, his sister, was with us and chatted a bit about the patterning In Empyrean specifically, and she was in the hospital with him sewing on costumes. And there were uh, rhinestone and sequin appliques that created some of the patterns that you see repeated in Empyrean. And they had names. I hear you use them in rehearsal. The waterfall section, Mm -hmm. for instance. Right. Swirl. Um, Right. (laughs) There's a lot of swirl in it. Uh Yeah. Um, But can you explain the difference for us or talk a bit about the difference between the process of the worldly ballet when he was still feeling very strong and very good uh, compared to Empyrean when he saw, again, at the time, HIV and AIDS was pretty much considered a death sentence. So as he was creating Empyrean, he was near the end of his life what was that like for you as a dancer in the room? Yeah,
2: um, it was very hard. But we we knew that he was struggling and that he was coming from the hospital. And we knew that our time in the studio was was a special time. And so we didn't want to bring our, or at least for me, I can't speak for everyone else, but I felt that we had to support him and be there for him. And we knew that it was a special time. So I think everyone banded together, and you really felt like people forgot whatever they were dealing with, and they just said, we're going to do this together, and whatever you want, Eddie, we're going to do it. And it was just a very special feeling.
1: I think... Two, that's reflected in the choreography. There are some what we would have in the time considered unusual lifts, unusual partnering, some different sorts of turns that created a different sense of the story he was telling. Uh, I find it interesting that his three pieces each have an intent. Oftentimes, choreography is just choreography because it's fun to do or sounds wonderful or looks like it feels good with the music. But each of his pieces had an intent.
2: Yeah. It was very interesting today because today I'm going to teach the finale, the, the final formations to go into the final pose. And so this is the most difficult one because <laughs> it's, it's like a, a swirl at the 10th exponential power. Like... You have swirls in lacrimosa, which makes sense because they're very linear. And then you have uh, waterfalls, which is complex in, in Empyrean, but there's an order to it. You can kind of see the path. But this last swirl, it's like a, I want to say like a cinnamon roll, but it has many paths, many layers. And how do I describe that to the dancers and how do I set it as that feeling of, continuous swirling with not a distinct path, but there is a path. And I feel it's an analogy to his pathway to death. He's bringing it into a swirl, but there's no clear pathway. To the end. And then a lot of Empyrean is about the, I don't know what this point represents, but the sternum area is lifted, whether it's in a press lift or the arm lift, the sternum is very high. And then at the last pose, everyone has that high upper sternum lift and the eyes up to the heavens or whatever spirituality you want to take it. But that's what he wants to feel at the end is just this lift.
1: Lifting of the heart. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that in La Cremosa, you mentioned the weight of the choreography, the weight of the storyline or the libretto that he was creating around, whether it was in his head or conveyed to you all as dancers. And you also mentioned he was coming out of the hospital daily to rehearse with you all to complete Empyrean. Yet it is one of the most hopeful, uplifting ballets I think I've seen, which I find fascinating. Did he ever speak with you all about that? No, (laughs) he didn't.
2: And I think because it was so personal, it was so like in his face. So if you kind of put yourself in his shoes in the hospital, he had to deal with all his symptoms, all... It drew all the energy out of him. And so the only thing that kept him going was the studio, coming to the studio. And that was his hopeful place. Right. So what Rose told me is that he was like half dead at the hospital. The the doctors and the nurses didn't believe that he could make it to the studio, but he he convinced the doctors and the nurses that he had
1: to go to the studio, which is Totally amazing, right? Well, there were people waiting on him. He had something to leave behind. Yeah. And so I I think
2: that was, it was just sheer his soul, his being made him come to the studio and have that demeanor that he had, which was, we just thought he's getting thinner and thinner, but his energy level was still up, you know, what we knew as Eddie. It was, you know, it was diminished. But he never showed his weakness or, like, how he was in pain.
1: He was an energetic dancer. Mm. Could we talk just a bit about his own career as a performer?
2: Right. What Um, do you
1: remember about that?
2: I met him, I was already in the Joffrey. He came in, I want to say, 1986 or 1985 as a young Whippersnapper. Whippersnapper. <laughs> you know, he had lots of energy. And he had just come from the Jackson competition and won a gold there. So Mr. Joffrey had seen him there and brought him to the company. And immediately, you just noticed him. One thing he does is do everything full out. He would never mark. Like even in class, he would just do everything at 100%. And so you couldn't help but notice this young man. <laughs> with no fears, apparently no fears. no fears. Right, right. And total confidence. And in some ways, people were off-put by his confidence level, because it was a threat to them. But for for me, I just saw this wonderful energy. And he immediately, I mean, he did La Vivandiere, which is a very technical piece. Um, he danced it with Tina LeBlanc, who is Equally beautifully technical and beautiful dancer musically. And both of them together were, were just spectacular gems. Then Mr. Joffrey brought in La Fima which is a Sir Frederick Ashton piece. And Eddie, although he wasn't like the main Colas role, he was Alan, the, <laughs> the suitor. Which is a comedy role a as com- well. A comedic role, right. And so he really showed his character. And I always remember Eddie in that role because he was so funny and he was so physical too because it was physical comedy and he could do the falling down the stairs with 100% just, you you—you thought he was actually falling down the stairs, but he knew how to do it physically and just his timing. And yeah, he was just very charming as Alan. And then, uh, of course, Robert Joffrey was... Um, and Gerald Arpino were choreographing their own Nutcracker at that time. So Eddie was Fritz in the party scene and the Snow Prince in the snow scene. And those were dual roles. So in Clara's dream, her brother becomes the Snow Prince in the snow scene. Mr. Joffrey had all these correlations from the party scene to the f- snow scene to the second act. I have never seen anyone do the Snow Prince like Eddie.
1: You can still find it on YouTube. It's spectacular. It's it's amazing. Yeah.
2: There's no one like him. He had musicality. He had uh, dynamics in his dancing. He had the physicality, which is very in contrast to the ballet body, which he was short. He had thick muscles. um, Strong muscles. Strong muscles. (laughs) (laughs) But he really worked on elongating them. And by the time... In the course over one year, he had really lengthened out his muscles. And he was just, I mean, it was already beautiful to come to the Joffrey, but he really still worked on trying to lengthen and find the movement, the the breath and the length of each movement on his off time. So, Interesting. Yeah.
1: Rose had mentioned in one conversation that he, Eddie, was not the typical dancer, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. He was determined. And you mentioned he was shorter. His build was not what you would see as a dancer. But I find that fascinating as well because we've actually been gifted some of his costumes and use one of them in snow. Actually, oh. we use one that Rose had made for Eddie, but we used it in our snow scene here in Fort Wayne. And when you look at the costumes, they're awfully small. So the expectation of the time was different. I want to mention, too, that we'll have some of his costumes on display in the theater during this particular run of the evening of Sturley. So, and his gold medals and wonderful photographs. There's some of you yeah. in there as well, <laughs> dancing some reviews from the New York Times where you're mentioned. So, you know, you've had a career in your own right, but you've been very gracious about speaking to Eddie and his guests. Yeah, well,
2: I'm just honored to do it, Yeah. Like
1: going back to Eddie, Mr. Arpino
2: loved Eddie. I mean, what choreographer wouldn't? But he did all the Arpino ballets. I mean, he was quintessentially an Arpino dancer. Just the the fast footwork, the dynamic dart-like movement, the jumping, the turning. So he was in every Arpino ballet that there was. I mean, he was dancing every ballet every night.
1: And within a very short span of years. Yes. And choreographing.
2: Right. And who else knows what else he was doing? <laughs> I mean, he, he, he could never keep still. So he was always like looking for the next project. What can I do? How can I how can I grow? He was always talking about growing, just expanding himself. And he was just so hungry to learn.
1: He had an incessant desire for knowledge. Mm-hmm, Rose right. mentioned that as well. Yeah. That he didn't hesitate to talk to anybody right. he felt could help him learn more. Yep. He would talk to me, and I was like, why are you talking to me? I'm just like
2: this dancer at the Joffrey that stands in the back. But he asked me all kinds of questions. I don't remember what they are, but (laughs) I just really felt like, wow, he really wants to learn. He's very curious.
1: Well, you all became very good friends through his time at the Joffrey, your time at the Joffrey, and working together. This has to be a little bittersweet to do this program. It's really, I'm honored that Fort Wayne Ballet can present it. It's not been done like this before, but it has to be So exciting. Isn't it?
2: Yeah. I'm just thrilled. Just to have all of his ballets in one program is just so exciting. To see the breadth of his talent, to see the range of his concepts, to see the movement quality, it's just so exciting.
1: How do the dancers of today adapt to that?
2: What I'm trying to work with with the dancers now is just trying to find that the weight in the movement, the suspension of the movement, and then the length of the movement. So technically, when a dancer focuses on technique, there's a tendency to hold in because you're trying to get to a pose or to a technical feat. But with Eddie, you had to let go and trust your body to do it. And that's the hardest thing to try to I try to encourage the dancers to explore that part of themselves.
1: I think that's hard for everyone that dances. You work so hard on the technique and the refinement of that. So when you say let go, of course, there's that immediate fear of, oh, I won't have my technique anymore. Right. Yet, I think on the other side of the room now, not in the, on the floor, I feel like that really enhances the technique mm. to be able to let it go. Right, right. It's far more exciting for our audience. Yes. So that's for sure. Right, for yeah. sure. Well, do you have any final thoughts about Eddie or this program that you'd like to share with us? I'm trying to think. Come, uh, please
2: come. Please come. Yes, please come to Fort Wayne and see the Eddie Sturley program. We'd love to see you too and hear your thoughts because uh, Eddie always wanted to hear people's thoughts and please share your thoughts with us.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Kim Sagami, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Miss Karen.
0: That's our show. Thank you for joining us for our latest installment in our miniseries on Eddie Sturley. Our final segment will drop next Friday as we discuss Eddie's lasting legacy. I'd like to thank our guests, Kim Sagami and Karen Gibbons-Brown. Tickets are available at fortwayneballet.org, artstix.org, or by calling the box office at 422-4226. And for more information on Sturley and our performance, visit fortwayneballet.org slash Eddie. Kinetic Conversations is brought to you by Fort Wayne Ballet and Wayne Shaw Productions, If you'd like to receive notifications on future podcasts, please like the podcast and go to FortWayneBallet.org to sign up for notifications on performances, podcasts, and more ballet news. You'll also find a library of past episodes on our website in the menu of options. Until next time, I'm Jim Sparrow, and thanks for listening to Kinetic Conversations with Fort Wayne Ballet. has been a Wayne Shout production.